0: Gardeners, farmers, compost enthusiasts, and growers, welcome to The Healthy Garden, the show where soil is important and growing a healthier world is job one. Hola, mis amigos and gardening enthusiasts. Welcome to episode number 40 of The Healthy Garden podcast, Grow Your Immunity in the Garden. I know that we've been gone for a few weeks, but we're happy to be back I had to skedaddle off to the farm in the Pacific Northwest and we decided it would be a good time to catch our breath. We hope that you're all having a good summer and are temporarily adjusting to the dystopian way of living that we are all suffering through across the globe. I have heard some of the most random forms of control from the U.S. to Venezuela regarding when you can travel, days you can be on the street, meaning odd or even. That's odd. And what is And what is not legal in terms of business, worship, protest, rioting, you name it, in these very controlled days. For me personally, I believe that the arbitrary rules and measures that countries, states, counties, and cities have leashed upon the citizenry are mostly without fact and any real scientific data to back them up and have been completely fear-driven and random. They are forms of control that have not seemed to have done anything to stop the spread. Which, if you believe the numbers, mostly plateaued a long time ago. What it has done for me is to heighten my distrust of pretty much anything that the government, Democrat or Republican, or that Big Pharma and Big Chem The medical establishment, not the frontliners, is telling me. And it has absolutely strengthened my disdain and distrust of big tech and big Hollywood, the news media, if you can call them that. They absolutely suck and are led by multinational globalists who want to scare the crap out of you, your friends and family, and are at the forefront, the spearhead of the lies that are destroying life today. So what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? That's from The Clash, clamp Down, which is appropriate for what I just talked to you about. We are going to take a look at healing ourselves through number one, food, our gardens and intelligent shopping options, diet, exercise, number two, gardening, walking, whatever you can do to get some good daily physical activity. Three, meditation, taking quiet respite to shut the mind off and to allow you to just be in touch with your physical presence without chatter, noise, distraction, or fear. The idea of sensing your breath normally, deeply, and without a mask is critical to your health, especially now. Four, prayer. I'm a Christian, a believer in God, and that time that I spend in daily prayer and reflection with my Creator is extremely important. In fact, it is the most important thing that I do every day. I feel that freedom of religion— All faith, all religion is an integral part of our right to free speech and is critical to a healthy society. And lastly, let's look at number five, mental health. All of the things that I've just listed go along with mental well-being. But being cognizant of the right to free speech, the buttons that are being pushed during the coronavirus situation is critical. And I stopped using the word pandemic because from all of the research that I've done, this may be a pandemic in the classical sense, but it's starting to look more like H1N1, the influenza pandemic of 2009, which was highly overestimated in number after the fact. My pals at Merriam-Webster define pandemic as a word that means an outbreak of a disease that occurs over a wide geographic area and affects exceptionally high proportion of the population, a pandemic outbreak of a disease. I've decided that the way the news and the politicos stress the word pandemic and the way that big tech has closed the free flow of information has made the 2020 coronavirus situation something that when we look back on it are going to feel like we all got taken for a ride and a very bad one at that. So for reasons of mental health, emotional health, spiritual health, and physical health, We are going to address our immune system today and how we can do something in this age of rampant victimization, something that the medical professionals, in quotes, and Big Pharma cannot grow our immune systems via our gardens. Hey there, tea timers. I always say that compost tea is the greatest cheat for any garden, especially a true organic, healthy garden. Malibu Compost makes five compost teas for you. For plants, trees, and shrubs. For fruits, vegetables, and tomatoes. For flowering plants and roses. For houseplants. And for lawns, lawn seed, and sod. Get whichever tea you need. Or get all of them at your local independent nursery or grow shop or from Malibu Compost online at www.malibucompost.com. My prescription for your garden, get on those teas today. This topic brings me back to the question of why are we gardening, something that I ask us all frequently on this show, and it's always followed up by how are we gardening? I believe that in our answers to those questions is where we'll find the truth of what we're looking for in terms of our health and well-being. The hobby or obsession with gardening is a great thing to have. But doing it in a true organic fashion, with true organic products and protocols, is in my opinion the best thing that anyone on this planet can do to overcome the sickness, mental illness, and exhaustion that the stress of the world offers today. There are no concerts, no movies, no parties, no church, no community events, no school, no gyms, no businesses that are open to do business without any inane restrictions, There's not much happening out there, but demonstrations, rioting, joblessness, political jockeying, and my favorite, gardening. More people are gardening now than ever, and it's important that we lead our new gardening family members down the right path, starting out the right way, right out the gate, and with true organic gardening to lead them to immediate success and, more importantly, health, which is the cornerstone of a healthy garden and the only reason that we do this show. Gardeners have been lied to for years by many of the same companies and big industries that are wreaking havoc on our society and our health today. You wanna build your immune system? Start by liberating yourself from any of the pesticides, herbicides or fungicides that you may have in the shed or in the garage and quit buying crap soil from big waste management outfits that just recycle trash. Put your hands in real living soil that is alive with microbes, bacteria and fungi, that your body craves, especially now when the powers of being are trying to disinfect you from everything, including the good microbes in the soil that could save your life. Throw away the garbage that you don't need to grow your gardens with. And I meant that both physically and mentally, because you can make a good compost at home. You can recycle and recharge soil at home. How? Listen to this show. Go back to the old episodes. The answers lie there for those who seek the truth. Remember, when you subscribe to a lie, you become the lie. I'm going to say that again. When you subscribe to a lie, you become the lie. And that goes for anything. You know inside what is true, authentic, real. And if you don't, use your free speech right to pray to meditate, to question. You don't have to be silent. Fear is your enemy. Fear can kill you. Stress and fear can kill your immune system. Bottling the truth and following the path of least resistance like sheep to slaughter is what big pharma, big chem, big government, big politico are betting on. That we won't stand up and say, screw you. I'm throwing out your poisons for my garden, the medicine that's keeping me sick, and the political dogma that is keeping me and my soul down. Vote with your wallet, vote with your voice, vote with your heart. As I was looking at the things that we can grow and do to boost our immune system, I came up with a couple of classics. This one is from the Harvard Medical School. I pulled up their healthy ways to strengthen your immune system. Here is what they had to say, over at Harvard, where for a mere $46,340 a year, you too can get an undergrad degree. And now, from the comfort and, in quotes, safety of your own home. (laughs) Now back to the experts, in quotes, at Harvard Med. Your first line of defense, is to choose a healthy lifestyle. Well, that is certainly easier said than done, especially today. Following general good health guidelines is the single best step you can take toward naturally keeping your immune system strong and healthy. Every part of your body, including your immune system, functions better when protected from environmental assaults and bolstered by healthy living strategies such as these. Who wrote this? One, don't smoke. Duh. Duh. Two, eat a diet high in fruits and vegetables. Agree to a point. Three, exercise regularly. Agree. Four, maintain a healthy weight. Agree. Five, drinking. If you drink alcohol, drink only in moderation and never in the morning. (laughs) I threw that last part in. That was mine. Pretty good, huh? Let's continue. Six, get adequate sleep. Agree, but sleeping when you're stressed out of your mind can be tough. Seven, take steps to avoid infections, such as washing your hands frequently and cooking meats thoroughly. I don't even know where to. I don't, I don't even know what to say to this one, as it opens up a whole can of worms when it comes to today. And number eight, try to minimize stress. Agree, but again, havid, Easier said than done today. So pretty much uncommon common sense, and I didn't even go to ha, but but pretty much nailed it. I think anyone with a pulse could probably do the same. Regarding number two, eating a diet high in fruits and vegetables, let's also put in the caveat that we are eating and growing organic, true organic plants in a true organic garden. And if we're buying stuff, we're buying true organic non-GMO food from reliable sources, that's key, that also don't fertilize with faux organic methods. We'll come back to building a healthy immune system in a minute, but I wanted us to take a look at what I consider a real pandemic, the Spanish flu pandemic of 1918. The Spanish flu did not originate in Spain, though news coverage of it did. Interesting. Sound like the news was already manipulating the truth a century ago. During World War I, Spain was a neutral country with a free media that covered the outbreak from the start, first reporting on it in Madrid in late May of 1918. Meanwhile, Allied countries and the Central Powers had wartime censors who covered up news of the flu to keep morale high. Aha, the Central Powers, eh? Hmm. Spanish news sources were the only ones reporting on the flu, so many believed it originated there. The Spanish believed the virus came from France and called it the French flu. Interesting. The powers that be were altering and muting the news so that the war could continue unaffected. The Spanish flu came in three waves spring of 1918, autumn of 1918, and winter of 1919. The second wave was unusually deadly, and unlike typical flu pandemics, it disproportionately killed young, healthy adults. Many researchers have suggested that the conditions of the war significantly aided the spread of the disease, and others have argued that the course of the war was influenced by the pandemic. The close quarters of military service and trench warfare helped the Spanish flu spread and mutate in a way we haven't seen in nearly 100 years since that time. And I don't believe that we still have, looking at the coronavirus situation today. In January of 1918, four months before the ABC report, the first case of the flu was identified in Haskell County, Kansas. Aha! On March 4, 1918, a case was documented at Fort Riley, Kansas, and by March 11, it had reached Queens, New York. Due to the nature of transportation at that time during World War One, the virus quickly spread globally. In August 1918, a more virulent strain of the Spanish flu was documented in France, Sierra Leone, and the U.S. It is said that in the next 24 weeks, the flu killed more people than AIDS killed in 24 years and the black death the bubonic plague killed in a century. New research suggests this strain was essentially created in the trenches of World War I as soldiers with mild strains of the virus were left in the trenches and those with severe illnesses were sent home. And as they made that trip back home, they would infect those who came in contact with them due to the highly contagious nature of the disease. This newer and deadlier form of the virus wasn't something new, but rather a mutation. Those who recovered from the first strain of the virus in early 1918 were immune to this second strain, but still thousands died throughout the world. With no cure for the flu, many doctors prescribed medication that they felt would alleviate symptoms, including aspirin, which had been trademarked by Bayer in 1899. But their patent had expired in 1917, and it meant that new companies were able to produce the drug during the Spanish flu epidemic. Before the spike in deaths attributed to the Spanish flu in 1918, the U.S. Surgeon General and the Journal of the American Medical Association had all recommended the use of aspirin. Medical professionals advised patients to take up to 30 grams per day, a dose now known to be toxic. For comparison's sake, the medical consensus today is that doses above 4 grams are unsafe. Symptoms of aspirin poisoning... This is interesting, guys. Listen to this. Include hyperventilation and pulmonary edema, or the buildup of fluid in the lungs. And it's now believed that many of the October deaths were actually caused or hastened by aspirin poisoning. Hmm. Imagine that, the wrong diagnosis from the medical, in quotes, professionals. By 1918, the advent of, Of salvericin and diphtheria antitoxin, coupled with comprehensive public health regulations and extensive vaccination campaigns, offered hope for the treatment and prevention of many of the previous century's scourges, including cholera, typhoid, syphilis, and smallpox. Breakthroughs in the fields of bacteriology, epidemiology, endowed the practice of medicine and public health with scientific authority and professional prestige. Nevertheless, despite tremendous advances in pathology and diagnostic technology throughout the 19th century, medicine's therapeutic capabilities remained tragically limited in the face of pandemic influenza. Preventative measures proved fruitless, and bacteriologists search for the microbial cause of influenza infection, the first step in developing an effective vaccine, were unsuccessful. Indeed, the viral origins of the influenza remained undiscovered until 1933. Without a vaccine or approved treatment plan, it fell to local mayors and healthy officials to improvise plans to safeguard the safety of their citizens. With pressure to appear patriotic at wartime and a censored media downplaying the disease's spread, many made tragic decisions. Philadelphia's response was little too late. Dr. Wilmer Krusen, the director of public health and charities for the city, insisted mounting fatalities were not the Spanish flu, but rather just the normal flu. So on September 28th, the city went forward with a Liberty loan parade attended by tens of thousands of Philadelphians, spreading the disease like wildfire. In just 10 days, over a thousand Philadelphians were dead and another 200,000 were sick. Only then did the city saloons and theaters close. By March 1919, over 15,000 citizens of Philadelphia had lost their lives. That makes the numbers of our pandemic not really add up if you're looking at all the demonstrations and all the activity and all the stuff, correct? St. Louis, Missouri was different. Schools and movie theaters were closed, and public gatherings were banned. Consequently, the peak mortality rate in St. Louis was just one eighth of Philadelphia's death rate during the peak of the pandemic. Citizens in San Francisco were fined $5, a significant sum at the time, if they were caught in public without masks and charged with disturbing the peace. The city's total excess death rate due to influenza and pneumonia during the epidemic ended up a whopping 673 per 100,000 people, the worst of any city in America. Think about that, what I just said. Although the death toll attributed to the Spanish flu is often estimated at 20 million to 50 million victims worldwide, other estimates run as high as 100 million. Around 3% of the world's population The exact numbers are impossible to know due to a lack of medical record keeping in many places. To me, one of the most interesting things was the success of natural remedies that were used by many folks in rural communities. Concoctions from weeds, spruce sap, and cattail juice were known to stop bleeding and keep out infection. Also, farmers swore by the limitless curative powers of apple cider vinegar. One of the products that we've used in our home for years is Bragg's Unfiltered Organic Apple Cider Vinegar. It was founded in 1912 and it was used by many to try and prevent or cure the flu. Recent studies suggest that apple cider vinegar may be potentially helpful in alleviating obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, some cancers, and many, many, many other health complications. As I always say, it's good to know history. We can see a lot of similarities if we look back to a real pandemic and what the government calls a pandemic today. The cancel culture would not want us to know that there were cover-ups by the media, by big government, by big intelligence. Why not? And there was also a massive failure by state and local governments to do the right thing back in 1918.
1: Hi, it's Norma, biological farmer and producer of the Healthy Garden Podcast. One of the best ways to grow your immunity is to heal your gut. The gut needs diversity of microorganisms to be able to give you the nutrients your body and brain need. And that diversity comes from good soil and the diversity of foods grown in it. So create great garden soil by feeding it Malibu composts Booze Blend Biodynamic Compost. It's true organic, farm-made, biodynamic, non-GMO, and full of life, so you can heal your soil and heal your gut. Go to malibucompost.com to get your bag of Booze Blend Compost today.
0: So what can we do to protect ourselves and build up our own defenses, grow food, healthy food, and work on creating an environment of wellness in our gardens and our homes? We need to build up our immune systems. Many of us are either stressed out to the max right now from the situation that we're dealing with regarding fear, panic buttons, jobs, family, school, whatever it is. So let's step back for a minute and try to forget about the talking heads, the idiots, and I mean idiots on TV, who are BSing you with an agenda that has an agenda after agenda and bring yourself back into just being a human being again. Let's try to turn the clock back. Take your life and your well-being back from the lying sacks of crap that have stolen a piece of our lives and let's try to get it back But how? We're going out to the garden. We're going to look at some of the things that we can grow that will build our immune systems. I will also mention some other things that you can buy to add to what you can't grow in your garden for whatever reason. But you can still add to your healthy food arsenal. So let's start with the simple ones. Number one, and one of my faves, red bell peppers. They are loaded with vitamin C. Ounce for ounce, they have three times as much vitamin C as an orange. They're not only a boost to your immune system, but they'll also help your skin and your eyes with the beta carotene that's in them. You know I love me some red bell peppers with hummus. Number two, spinach. It's rich in vitamin C. It's also packed with numerous antioxidants and beta carotene, which may both increase the infection-fighting ability of our immune systems. Spinach is healthiest when it's cooked as little as possible so that it retains its nutrients. Light cooking makes it easier to absorb the vitamin A. Number three, broccoli. Broccoli is supercharged with vitamins and minerals. It's packed with vitamin A, C, and E, plus fiber and a ton of antioxidants. It's one of the healthiest vegetables you can put on your plate. The key to keeping its nutrient and healing properties intact is to cook it as little as possible or not at all. I love it raw. Research has shown that steaming is the best way to keep more nutrients in the food if you're going to cook it. Number four, garlic. Garlic is a must have for your health. Early civilizations recognized its value in fighting infections. Garlic may also slow down hardening of the arteries, and there's a little bit of evidence that shows it may help lower blood pressure. Garlic's immune-boosting properties seem to come from a heavy concentration of sulfur-containing compounds such as allicin. Allicin reduces inflammation and offers antioxidant benefits. Fresh garlic contains an amino acid called Allen When the clove is crushed or chopped, an enzyme alanase is released. Planting garlic is easy. Here are the steps to add garlic into your garden. I'm adding this here because a lot of people don't seem to grow garlic at home. Here are your steps for planting garlic. A, plan to plant garlic in the fall about four to six weeks before the ground freezes or if it's time for your typical winter garden in warmer climates. B. Prepare the soil by loosening it to a depth of at least 8 inches and mix in some compost. C. Just prior to planting, break up the garlic heads into individual cloves, leaving as much of the papery covering on each clove as possible. D. Plant the cloves 3-4 to inches deep, orienting them so the pointy ends face up. Water gently to settle the soil, then cover the bed with a four to six inch layer of organic straw for the areas that freeze. For warmer climates, you can always add a light layer of compost covered with some of the shredded leaf droppings from your garden. Even as air temperatures drop, the soil will stay warm enough for the newly planted clothes to establish roots before the ground freezes. Sometimes you'll see some green shoots that come up in the fall, and that's fine. Um, It's not gonna harm the plants, they'll begin growing again, as soon as we hit the spring. F, next spring and summer, keep the bed weeded and watered. All right, let's go back to our list of foods that you can plant to grow your immune system. Five, ginger. Here's another one that a lot of people don't grow, but one that is critical to immune health. Ginger is a great thing to use after getting sick. We add it to our fresh green juices every day. We also press ginger and the ginger is amazing. It makes these little shooters like a shot glass size and we do that anytime we feel sick. Back when I was still flying, the first thing that I would do when I would get off a plane after all the coughs and hackers, I'd find a juice bar and do a couple of shots of ginger. Ginger also helps decrease inflammation And I have found that it definitely helps reduce a sore throat. It's also been shown to help with other inflammatory illnesses as well as with nausea. Ginger has also been shown to decrease chronic pain. Remember this though, guys, it packs a lot of heat, okay? And that's from gingerol. It's a relative of capsaicin. If you're gonna try ginger shots, be prepared. They aren't for the faint of heart. I once had a friend who almost passed out at a natural food store counter because he took way too big of a shot for a rookie. And I think maybe he spit it up all over himself and the counter and then had to run outside in embarrassment. It was great, we laugh about that today. Number six, turmeric. This is also one of my favorites. You may know turmeric as a key ingredient in many curries. It's odd that I love this so much in juices as I am not a big fan of curry. The bright yellow bitter spice has also been used for years as an anti-inflammatory in treating both osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. arthritis. Research shows that high concentrations of curcumin, which gives turmeric its distinctive color, can help decrease exercise-induced muscle damage. Curcumin also has a lot of promise as an immune booster based on several different studies and as an antiviral. Anybody growing turmeric out there? Well, here are some recommendations for growing this mysterious perennial herb. Turmeric can be grown outside year-round in USDA zones 8 and higher in the ground or in containers. In the colder climate zone 7 and lower, you need to grow them in a mobile container indoors and then bring them outside once the weather warms up. One, the seeds. You can grow turmeric from store-bought certified organic rhizomes. Make sure that they are certified organic. Plant each seed rhizome about two to four inches deep and spaced about four to six inches apart to avoid breaking the fingers. And place them with the fingers or nubs placing up, you know, facing upward. The sprouts will grow from the nubs, then water them to moisten the soil around them. Remember this, this is two. Turmeric takes eight to 10 months of frost-free growing from planting to harvest. Three, it will grow well in full sun to partial shade, and it needs some afternoon shade in the hotter climates. Four, turmeric needs 10 to 12 inches of loose, well-draining soil that is free of clumps and rocks and that is rich in organic matter. 5. You can grow in native soil that has been loosened and amended with finished compost to about a foot deep. 6. Watering. Before the turmeric sprouts above the soil, it doesn't need much in terms of care. Water is needed so that the soil stays mildly damp but not soggy. Remember the finger method we've talked about? Use the finger method to probe a couple of inches into the soil to check the moisture. The rhizomes will rot if they are overly wet, so be careful here. Seven, feeding. Turmeric is a heavy feeder. It needs a good finished compost. Top dress throughout the growth season. Also, once or twice during the mid to late growing season, summer to fall, top dress the soil around the plant with a dusting of organic alfalfa meal and a top quality kelp meal and cover them with a one inch layer of compost and then water that all in. Number eight, Give your turmeric a light drench of compost tea every other month or so. This will replace one of your normal waterings. Nine, harvesting. Turmeric leaves start to turn yellow and brown and they dry out when it's time to harvest. But really the best thing to do is use time to gauge when to harvest. Remember, it's usually about 10 months after planting. So there's no such thing as instant turmeric. When you're harvesting, don't yank up on the stalks. Just dig around them with a trowel to loosen the soil. Be careful not to damage the rhizome. Once you have loosened the soil up, you should be able to just pull the stalks out. So those are the six best things that you will absolutely want to plant in your garden. And there are more. There are some other great things, and we have them in our garden. Citrus. It's a big one for us in California. We grow all types of citrus, from Meyer lemons to my favorite, blood oranges. Sunflower seeds are also one of my faves, and a fantastic source of nutrient for your immune system. Sunflower seeds are full of nutrients including phosphorus, magnesium, vitamins B6 and E. Vitamin E is important in regulating and maintaining immune system function. Other foods with high amounts of vitamin E include avocados and dark leafy greens, which we also grow in our garden and orchard. Sunflower seeds are also incredibly high in selenium Just one ounce contains nearly half the selenium that the average adult needs daily. A variety of studies have looked at its potential to combat viral infections such as swine flu. Huh. That's interesting, isn't it, gang? And last on my list is organic yogurts and papayas. We we buy both at our co-op and natural grocer, and they have a ton of other good organic products, and local organic suppliers at the stores we shop at. So remember to do that. Taking the power back from medicine and drug companies is so key for us to be healthy, strong, and free. My hope is that you will question everything that you are being told by the in-quote experts. Let nature heal you in every way possible. Stand up for your rights Live in your heart and not in judgment of those who may be the trailblazers who are saying that what the government is dictating is BS. And when the world gets crazy, go outside, take a breath, pick up a trowel, and grow your immunity in the garden.
1: That concludes this episode of the Healthy Garden Podcast. Please post your questions on the Healthy Garden podcast pages on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join us next week to learn more about how you can free yourself from the chemical and synthetic trap that's been set to keep you from growing a true organic and healthy garden. Until then, happy and healthy gardening.